0: Welcome into the John Cast podcast, and thanks for listening to this podcast. A reminder that this podcast is now brought to you by Ian's Pizza in Madison. I've partnered with Ian's to give away five hundred dollars cash for the holidays to the one person who correctly identifies the secret message here. And you only have a few episodes left before the secret message is unveiled, and then everybody can send in their DMs at John Audius Radio on Twitter, also at John Cast Podcast, and on Instagram at John Cass Podcast, and all entries through those DMs will be entered into the final drawing process. So what we're doing is I'm giving out keywords or word combos throughout the podcast episodes, and then you put them together to form a secret message. And check out Ian's Pizza in Madison. Why? Because buying an Ian's Pizza gift card makes the perfect stocking stuffer for Christmas. And if you're at an Ian's Pizza location, we have the John Cass podcast posters up at the urinals in the bathroom it's the best. I think it's so awesome. Thank you, <laughs> Zach, for putting those up. But uh, let's get to the Ian's keyword in just a second. In the meantime, let's start today's John Cass podcast. What happens when a radio broadcaster gets let go from his sports talk job? Well, he tries to figure out what he wants to do next for a career. And in the meantime, joins the four million other podcasts on the internet. And the John Cast is born. Join me each week as I talk to guests I find interesting or entertaining from the world of sports, play by play broadcasting, or whatever else sounds fascinating to me at the moment. The John Cast is what I'm doing until I figure out what I'm doing. Subscribe, download, and I hope you learn something along the way. Amon, what are you drinking?
1: Man, I'm drinking some water right now. What are you drinking?
0: (laughs) I had, I actually had a Mountain Dew. You know, we talked about, uh, we do a podcast together, the Gamers Lounge, Amon Green's Gamers Lounge. And uh, I told you about the Mountain Dew thing I've been going through. And yeah. yeah. And so I had a Mountain Dew earlier for lunch, but I'm not drinking anything but water. That seems like, because you're a guy that's still in shape from your playing days, you still work out. Water seems right up Amon Green's alley to me.
1: Yeah. I say for this time of the day. Yes. It depends on the day. Like today's Friday, and then it depends on where I'm going. Because later, later, I'm gonna go out with friend. Actually, I'm going to a friend's house, and he's introducing me, introducing me to all his uh, different whiskeys. I'm not Uh-oh. a whiskey guy, so I'm going down the whiskey row. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> I guess you're gonna so, go whiskey tasting. I'm going whiskey tasting. That is what's going on. Oh
0: yep. no! Do you spit that out, or do you drink every whiskey? How does that work?
1: I'm going to find out. I'm, I'm assuming like there is this is this is his home personal thing. Like his own personal collection is not like at a, like a oh. restaurant or anything. So I think I just, I'm going to just, you know, think him now. Oh, we just need food. I'll uh, make sure we have food on tap. Make sure of that.
0: Yeah. Well, if it's his <laughs> own personal collection. Yeah. I don't think he probably wants to be wasting his whiskey. So, no. oh, man, if Amon gets on social media tonight, you know, it's going to be a fun social media night. After a couple of whiskeys.
1: That's it. I'm going to be lit.
0: <laughs> All right. Time for today's Ian's oh, really? Pizza keyword or word combo. And today in this episode with Amon Green, we have a word combo. Listen closely and a, and uh, however you want to pronounce that. And uh, that's the oh, combo. Man. And okay. uh, if you need the other word or word combos, you got to listen to the previous episode starting with Bo Ryan, but and space oh. uh. And I tell you, and, bad people uh, saying to Mon like, oh, I already got it. I got it like five episodes in. No, you didn't. Right. I'm just going to say, no, you didn't. You got to you got to listen. <laughs> if you're sending in your DMs like I already know and I'll just figure out the rest and type it into audience. It's not going to work because there may be a curveball coming in the next couple of. Episodes. Right.
1: Got to have curveballs.
0: Yeah. So i green. What are you up to? What are you doing these days?
1: Man, I'm doing yeah, man, as you know, I'm doing a lot. I'm super super busy, which is a good thing. Um, I say one of the main things I'm doing is I coach an esports at Lakeland University, which I started pretty much almost two years ago. It'll be two years in in February when I officially started, and so I'm coaching so esports competitive video games. And you know, it's a long way from our our Donkey Kong and Pat days, Tech Bowl on Nintendo and ten yard fight. So now it's about six competitive games that m- most colleges of all levels, junior college, community college, all the way up to D1, play against each other. So Overwatch, Rocket League, um, uh, Super Smash Bros., Call of Duty, and uh, League of Legends. And then you have have Madden, you have FIFA, and some leagues and conferences we play Tekken and Smite and Hearthstone. So that's kind of the, the range of about 10 games right there that you play in. And there's some... Uh, online, obviously, it's still esports is a virtual chest so that counts too. I've I've seen that um, every now and then, you know, squ- scouring the internet for competition, uh, for players and interests of that. So that's basically what I'm doing. So it's a full time job. I'm recruiting. Um, I'm I'm getting. I was just on a phone call earlier today about sponsors, sponsorships, and partnerships. That we, you know, I got a t- two new people that just got hired on within the last year at Lakeland. That's going to be that's part of my sponsorship team. So. I was giving them the ideas of what to look for, what to ask for when they're going to companies of, you know, explaining they had to find out what exactly esports was. So I explained that to them and uh, tell them, look, it's just, a, it's no different than if you're going out and looking for sponsors for football, baseball, basketball sports. You know, we need, these are the things we need money for. And I told them that, and that kind of helped them out a little bit, you know, for our equipment, you know, stuff like this headsets, computers, uh, mouse keyboards, g- controllers and furniture too, you know, desks, you know, desk, yeah, there's
0: a computers. lot, there's, there's, a, there's a,
1: lot, a lot of little stuff. It's not. And the good thing is some of it is kind of expensive and some of it year over year is, is not because like the games, you know, they range from like $20 up to 70, $80. And if we could get, as long as we have it in the budget or we have sponsors that say that's going to sponsor our purchasing of our, you know, our apparel, our, our yeah. t-shirts and and hoodies and, and jerseys, then that alleviates, uh, you know, if we have that money there every year over year, then boom, that helps out the, uh, the program a lot.
0: Okay. So let me ask, so you go from the football field to the, yep. basically the virtual football field with, uh, you know, with games like Madden and things like that. Yep. Let me take you back to, to when you first decided you wanted to play football, was there another sport that you, you wanted to do, or was it, was it always football from the start? Or at any point, did you say, you know what, I think I could do this. Or I want to do this.
1: Oh, yeah, it was. It was baseball. It oh. was right away baseball. I played basketball. Like, growing up as a kid, I grew up, I was born in Nebraska, grew up in Los Angeles. And so, I was, uh, Los Angeles, you, you could be outside six, seven days a week, easy. Um, yeah. Playing, you know, going to school and having a good day at school in terms of the weather where you could go out and play recess and play kickball, play baseball, play basketball. So, I found out between, you know, obviously being a kid in elementary and in my neighborhood, and then finding out, okay, I was right away, I was really good at football, I was really good at baseball. But basketball was kind of like the sport that I, I kind of shied away from. I didn't play it. I only played it for fun. You know, let's, all oh, let's shoot threes, or let's, let's see who could try to dunk, you know, stuff like that, or who could grab that, who could jump up and touch the net. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really play. Like, when somebody say, hey, on, let's let's play, you know, a game of, let's play a three-on-three, three. I'm like, ah, no, I'm not a good which I wasn't. I'm not a good dribbler. Um, But I found out once I, you know what, I'm gonna play a few times. I found out I can move my feet fast. I so I was a great defender and I could jump. You know, I could jump. So I was like a a Dennis Rodman, pretty much. I figured that out. I was like, he's a good player. He's an all star. He only he only plays defense and he annoys people. You know, gets in their face and stuff. So I was like, I could do that. I could do that. So, uh, but right away it was football and baseball. Right. That's
0: so. By the way, that's so underappreciated. I think uh, a guy like Dennis Rodman,
1: Mm -hmm. like.
0: He had to he had to dye his hair and get tattoos and nose rings and stuff just for people to really pay attention to him. But he was out there like just putting up. He's doing the dirty work in the NBA that no one else wanted to do.
1: And that would have been me if I would have decided, you know, I'm going to play basketball and I'm just going to be that grunt guy. I could do it because I love it. I don't mind getting in guys face, grabbing rebounds. I don't mind defending a guy where he can't score. I didn't mind that stuff because because of my football. I think it was because of football. And I played on defense and I had to tackle people. I was linebacker, I was a strong safety. I played corner. So hitting a guy, tackle him, that's part of you know, that's a defensive player's mindset. So I had that too in me. I basically was an all-around football player in terms of that asset. So
0: did did you have a favorite baseball player growing up?
1: Oh yeah. It was uh King Griffey Jr. Right off oh. the bat. He was a lefty. I was a lefty.
0: Yeah.
1: He had uh he wore the number 24. Uh, I know the Seattle Mariners, one of their team colors is blue. That was my favorite color as a kid and still now. So it was just, and then I found out later as I, you know, kept following him as a fan. I'm getting all his training cards and make sure I still got them. So I'm, I got cards like kind of like yourself, you yeah. in your collection. So in my collection, I got his Ricky card from his rookie year and from the years after that. And I read on one of them and told it said that he was a wide receiver. He played football um, when he was in high school and he grew up in Columbus because his dad, uh, was a red, was a Cincinnati red. I actually grew up in Cincinnati because his dad was a red for a while when he was younger. Yeah. But he would play wide receiver. And I'm like, oh, he played football, too. I was like, sweet. I say, but he was smart. He stuck with baseball. <laughs> yeah.
0: Ken Griffey Jr. was just, he was he was the player of that generation, man. Because yes. a lot of those guys got popped with, um, you know, PEDs and things like that. And yeah. he never did. In fact, I thought I remember reading this, Amon. Um, this could be made up or I made it up or I'm thinking of somebody else, but I thought it was Ken Griffey jr. I guess I could Google it. Yeah. He never lifted weights.
1: That's true. That That's is dead amazing. on. I went, um, so for, you know, fast forward to me being a Packer, uh, 2002, I go out to Nike, to Oregon, to the Nike campus. Mm-hmm. And they're basically asking me if they want they're asking me to give them ideas on a shoot for me, I'm like, great. Um, it, it never went to retail, you know, it Sucked. I was like, dang it. But at least I had my own shoe for a little bit, for a season, for a couple of seasons. And so while I'm out there, I'm meeting with all the shoe people, you know, the head of marketing, shoe designer, graphic artist, the whole team that makes up a shoe when they're developing a shoe for an athlete. And they're a great bunch of people. And I remember one, the head guy who was like the head of uh, Nike football at that time. And now it's a guy I know. His name is uh, a Cliff. Cliff King is the head now of Nike football. But back then, I can't, remember, oh, I can't remember the guy's name. But the guy who was head of Nike football, he was best friends with Ken Griffey Jr. He had been part of Ken Griffey's uh, shoe career because being at Nike, since Ken Griffey got into in Major League Baseball. So since like 19, whatever it was, 80-something or 90. I think. 80, yeah. 89, 90, right. And so he basically was like a sign to King Griffey's like, all right, you, you stick with him. This is the, our next, this is our Michael Jordan of baseball. So you, this is your guy. So you, you stay with him. And so what he did, we, I get there, we're meeting and talking, we're talking about my mom, you know, designing my shoe, the colors and the little logos we're going to have on it. And then we're done with all that. And we're just kind of having a side off the sidebar conversation. And it came up, you know, cause it, it's a King Griffey building on Nike's campus. And there's a Tiger Woods building. It's a Michael Jordan building. It's an Arthur Ashe. And so when we, you know, I'm like, dude, King Griffin's my favorite player. You know, I'm looking at the building. He's like, really? I say, that's one of my, we're pretty much best friends. You know, I've been knowing him since his rookie year. Da da And he's like, I always harass him because I'll be like, dude, don't you need to be working out or lifting weights or something? And he'd be like, nah, I'm good. You know, I'm all right. You know, <laughs> he would just like, just shook it off like that. I'm like, really? It's totally shocked me because I'm like, he's a two-sport, pretty much a two-sport athlete growing up, play football and baseball. And how and then you we saw him in baseball. You I know you watched him play. Yeah. He was phenomenal. He's getting great. home runs. Yeah. You know, bouncing off the wall in this kingdom. You know, he hurt his I think he broke he, he broke his ankle one time and he, I think he hurt his wrist another time. But just going after the ball like that is, you know, it's ability. You know, it's an athletic ability that a lot of people. You know, don't possess, and you—he could tell. I mean, well, you know now that all his ability was just God-given. He was not trying to enhance it anymore by going to the weight room, um, but or going and getting, you know, doing yoga classes or anything like that, eating right. I don't know if he even his nutrition was good that part too. So, as an athlete and as a fan of him, I was just like, "Are you kidding me?" That's like he never touched the weight room. He's like maybe in maybe when he was in high school, but once he got to Seattle. Mm-mm. He said he never worked out. He, he would jog a little bit, like a, a couple days a week before uh, training camp, um, spring training. He would go like two weeks before tra- training. He said he would go to like a local high school in the Seattle area and jog around the track for about a half hour. And that was about it. That's,
0: that's just I natural saying, ability. That's so insane. Because for most people, when they stop working out, like everything just breaks down and you can't do anything. And for him here, I have the quote. This is from January of 2016 from The Washington Post. Um, it says I don't lift weights. Never have. Griffey said back in 1998, a year after he had hit 56 home runs and was named MVP.
1: <laughs> right, and and baseball is one sport that lifting weights doesn't really in, enhance anything. Right. I can I I, I play baseball and I can say I could I could give a true opinion about this. I say what the, what does lifting weight does to a baseball player? It makes them more durable. That's about it like they could play, they could have longer baseball careers because obviously the only thing you're hitting is a baseball. And the only thing after that you're doing, you're running the bases out. You know, if you got to run the first, run the second, still second, still third. And then obviously the most physical position um, on the body is a catcher and outfielder because catcher is down in the stands. You get a lot of wear and tear on your knees. So that means you got to take care of your knees Um, and then your core because if you have a good strong core, you could squat in that stance and take some of the pressure off your knees. But then outfielder, you got got to run. As soon as that ball's hit, boom, you're you're sprinting somewhere. And so I said those are the only two positions I remember from baseball that I could see wear and tear over a career. But you could still – an outfielder could still play 15 years. I mean, I remember I think Eric Davis played 20 years, and he was an outfielder. There's a lot of outfielders that get close to 20 years in baseball. But I'm like, just imagine if he just worked out twice a week in the weight room and then did a conditioning program a little bit more than just jogging around a track. Yeah, he'd probably still be playing right now. He'd probably be fifty-five years old, still in Man. Major League Baseball. I,
0: I remember. Yeah. yeah, you talked about the rookie cards. I always wanted. There's a. Is I already. I know the, the. I'm gonna get a little nerdy with with sports cards here for a second. It was 1989 yeah. Upper Deck, and it has his face on it, just his face, and that was the card like everybody wanted, and I always wanted. I, I it. got that one. Yeah, and it was like twenty five bucks or something. It's like way too expensive yeah. for ten year old John, and and so I still don't have it. And I've always told myself I'm the only way I'm going to get that. I could buy it easily. I'm going I want to open up a pack. I want to pull it out. That's the only way I ever want to get that card. So I I buy those packs every once in a while from nineteen eighty nine, yeah. just trying to get one. Um, all right, so you love baseball, but then you chose football. So what made you? What made you ultimately choose football? And then when did you know that you were like, oh, man, I, I think I'm going to play football at college and, and maybe beyond?
1: Um. So what made me it? it see it, high, it was high school when I didn't really like choose because I told myself I could play at the college level. But what I did was like freshman year, I played football. Mm-hmm. Tr- I ran track, which was in the spring, and I played baseball. And what I did at the high school I was that I told my I talked to my baseball coach and the track coach at the school and said, hey, you know, can I uh, I'm running track, but I, I want to play baseball, too. And he kind of, he's like, give me a give me a few days. Let me think about it. And I'll, and I'll let you know. And so he got back to me and he's like, all right. The baseball coach is like, all right, well, he said you could do it. I'll let you do this. this these are the rules, though. You got to come to practice uh, for BP batting practice once a week. I know you're in shape. I know you could throw the ball. I see you throw it. You're good. Your body's good to go. Um, But come to batting practice once a week. And I said, all right. I said, that's the rules. He said, yep, that's the rules. So I ran track and um, played baseball my freshman year, sophomore year. um, Same thing, because I was at the same high school. But then I transferred high schools. And so I didn't. And by this time out, my junior year, I picked up weight. I went from weighing from my sophomore year of football and baseball and track, I weighed 165 pounds to my junior year. And transferring schools to the next school, which was Omaha Central. So I was at Omaha North High School. I transferred from Omaha Central High School. And the weight program was a little bit better. I say it was a little bit more uh, accountability and teamwork and people showing up than it was at North. And I went from working out three days a week and two days. The other two days we would kind of get together as, as teammates and work out on our own. It was more conditioning then. And then so Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we lifted weights. Saturday, we would play uh, seven seven flag, you know, touch football just to keep, you know, get, get in the rhythm. But from June, it was literally from the first week of June to the first week of August, I went from weighing 165 to 195 pounds. And what's that? Three months?
0: Three months? Were you just <laughs> three months? everything you literally ever saw?
1: Everything. Junk food. You know, my mom cooked. Oh, McDonald's Oh, that's probably when McDonald's food was real food. We don't know what it is now (laughs) at McDonald's and Burger King. But, yeah, I was literally eating everything. I would, you know, go from the workout, come home. My mom would have like lunch made, dinner and then obviously, you know, but this was summer. So, yeah, it was workout. We had to be at the workout uh, from six to nine in the morning. So I was up at five a.m. I'll get over to the school, workout from six to nine, come home. And I would eat something before I go to work out. I'll get home, eat something, go to sleep, wake up, eat something. then go hang out because it's summertime. Go to either go to work or hang out with my friends and then do do the same thing the next day. And of course, once the school started, everybody was thought I was on steroids. They're like, oh, man, he's on steroids. He's using roids. He has to. Nobody picks up that much weight in two and three months and looks the way he looks, and he's only a junior in high school. He looks like a grown man. Just that, me. I was hearing all this stuff, and I already knew what it was. You know, I was eating everything. I would go over to my brother's house. My brother, he would teach me how to lift weights, and he was like, "Oh, he said all I want you to do is pay attention and listen to these workout programs that I'm giving you, and I'll feed you." I said, "Deal." <laughs> I'm like, "That's easy." That was my older brother Jerry, yeah. and my other brother Nicky. You know, he, uh, him, and his wife. They would. I was spending an hour of their house and babysit, and babysitting was me. Getting fed, I was like, "Deal!" I had three nephews and a niece. I'm like, "No problem." I'm okay. That's an easy. That's, you can pay me with food all day. I love it.
0: How many I was schools? In high school. How many schools recruited you? And was there ever a school besides Nebraska that you that you almost went to?
1: Yeah, I. Um, so, ev- literally every school, every school recruited me. And for me, as a kid from Nebraska, growing up in L.A., but then very humble. I was just like, Alabama, Miami, Penn State, USC. I was like, oh, wait a minute, Man, Miami, that's the, that's the hurricanes. Oh, they, they really good, but they a little cocky. You know, I don't know. Still you are. Know, you know, it still are. Right. And so I was like, at least they'll be playing good football. You know, I knew that. I was yeah. like, at least there's good football back then. And then USC, I'm naming all the guys that went to USC or Rodney Pete. And, you know, at that time, Rodney Pete and uh, Keisha, you know, well, before me, well, at, when I was a kid, there like Notre Dame, Tony Rice, Ricky Waters. Uh, yeah. uh, trying to think who else. It's a lot of big name players. Didn't Marcus uh, Allen not.
0: go to USC. Am I yeah, right? Yeah, Marcus Allen. Yeah, Marcus Allen.
1: Uh, and then Bosworth. I mean, no, he's a. No, he was a Sooner. But yeah, Oklahoma, Alabama, yeah. Um, Penn State, Texas Tech, Texas. So yeah. why Nebraska?
0: Just because you're from Nebraska.
1: No, so and the other school was Arizona. That almost became a Wildcat, Arizona oh, wow. a Wildcat. And so why is because family? It was basically because it was, it wasn't because it was Nebraska, but so we had this event happen. So the night of the national, the NCAA national title game, Nebraska played uh, Miami, and it was in Miami, and the year before year, the last three, the previous three years. Before that, Nebraska had played for either the national title outright against Florida State or Miami in the last five years prior to this game. And obviously in Nebraska, this is a big game. You know, Mm -hmm. we could finally beat the Hurricanes. We'll, you know, Tom Miles and get his his first national title. Well, as a head coach, he played he coached back in the 70s where he won. He was an assistant then. But as a head coach, he could win. And so that game happened. They won. And during that game, I met a friend. So I was watching the game and my stepdad pretty much raised me he uh he had a heart attack and but he was okay he, he he survived the doctors got him okay to stabilize and all that and my mom called me up and said meet us at the hospital you know your dad had a heart attack but he's okay we, he's recovering right now the doctor's okay you know was able to stabilize him and everything and so I did I went to the hospital me and my brother and sister we all went there we we're sitting like in the family room waiting and while we're waiting to hear from the doctors my mom to come out and the doctor to come out we're watching the rest of the Nebraska game and I'm uh, hurricane game and then like it clicked in to me like because i was the last recruit that of that class to get to sign to say i'm going to nebraska to verbally commit to it and it was uh, whatever that gets so that game was played on now at that time november it was played on january second or whatever now now college playoff games are played like almost yeah. february <laughs> um so yeah, it just clicked in, in my head, you know. I was like, oh, this moment, like right here, because I'm with my brothers, I'm with my sister, I'm with family. A big event happened, you know, where I'm I'm there to support my mom, my brothers and sisters through this. And it was like, I'm I'm staying home. I'm gonna just stay home because of that. Because the uh, family's close by, they could come watch me play. Uh, if anything unfortunate happens, good or bad, I'm I'm 50 miles away. That's how far. Lincoln is from Omaha. It's just a 50 mile drive, which is like an hour drive, 45 minute drive from uh, from the two cities. So that was, that maybe that's what made me uh, made my decision right there.
0: So then <laughs> you you go to Nebraska and you actually I mean, you just crush it at Nebraska and you win a couple of national titles. I mean, mm-hmm. there's two, right? Two national yeah, titles. Yeah. My yeah. freshman
1: year and my junior year. Yep.
0: Yeah. And then you get drafted by the Seahawks. And then how did you get to Green Bay after because you were a Seattle Seahawk? And then what happened yep. after that?
1: So, yeah, I got drafted in 98 and I had Dennis Erickson, who was the old Miami coach from back in the late eighties, actually eighties late, all the way mid eighties to late eighties and a great guy. Um, he, but that first year for them was for us as a Seattle Seahawks. We were, it was rough. Uh, I think we went eight and eight, okay. <laughs> you know, um, but then, uh, so unfortunately, you know, the whole, the, the thing was the whole season, this is where I started learning business and NFL right away was like, oh man, this is a rough world. So, cause like at the start of the season, all the news reports from ESPN to local news reports are saying, you know, Dennis Erickson and the coaching staff, they have to go to the playoffs this year or they're all fired. I'm like, dang, <laughs> it's, it's August. We didn't even start training camp yet. You know, it's like, yeah. they're already talking, you know, he's already on the slate to get cut. Like, yeah. man. I'm like this is the NFL like okay and so but we had talent you know I mean beyond me being there you had Ricky Waters we drafted we got him as a free agent we had Joey Galloway we had Warren Moon we had Cortez Kennedy on defense and Mike St. Clair who were both Pro Bowls and then obviously Cortez was a Hall of Famer later on so we had it we had Sean Springs he was a first round corner so we had talent but that's where I learned you know just like little league, just like high school, mm-hmm. just like college, that you got to have good coaches and then good players on the same mindset to come together to try to win. Because mm-hmm. we go all be very talented. But if we're not on the same page, nothing's going to happen good in the long run. And that's what happened. So that was my rookie year. And then second year, Mike Holmgren came in and he you know, obviously winning in the Super Bowl here at Green Bay. Is uh he wanted what well, reason why he became the head coach because he wanted the head coach and the GM responsibilities and money and power mm-hmm. here in Green Bay. And he didn't want to wait for Ron Wolf to give it to him. Because Ron told me, I had a meeting with him, you know, this is fast forward to now, like somewhere probably a couple of years ago. Ron said, I was gonna give Mike Holmgren the GM the job, and the, you know, he could he could cope, be the head coach and give him, and then I was gonna give him the GM GM job, but I just asked him. Just wait a couple more years i still want to do this i want to i want to you know pick up talent i want to scat talent two two maybe three years and it's yours mike and he just he was impatient so he's like nope i want it now you're not giving it to me i'm gonna go somewhere where they will and so that's what he had got in seattle he got the head coach and to be part of the gm and decision making of draft picks and free agent signings stuff like that so in my second year it was like It was great. It was fun. And and it was a tough learning experience because it was fun because I knew Mike Holmgren because I was a 49er fan. And he was a quarterbacks coach when I was a 49er fan growing up for Joe Montana and Steve Young. And obviously he coached Jerry Rice. He coached John Taylor, Roger Craig, all those 49er players that I was a 49er fan. So I was like, oh, man, this is old 49er coach that offense is special. The West coast offense was getting coined. That was like kind of the new name at that time. It was, it wasn't just Bill Walsh's offense anymore. They started renaming it calling it the West coast. And I'm like, man, I'm ready to do what Roger Craig did. You know, he was a running back. He caught the ball out the backfield and all that stuff. And then once they, you know, so Mike Holman gets there and I'm getting, I'm diving into the playbook, learning the playbook. And I'm like, man, okay. Woo. This is going to be rough, you know, because it's different work words, different verbiage. Yeah. And it was funny, like halfway through minicamp in um, like spring or late early summer of that year. I called my agent it was ninety nine. And I said, Joe, he's like, man, you doing OK? It's like you usually don't call me. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing all, all right. I'm, got a little, I'm a little worried, though. He's like, what? I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to learn this playbook. This <laughs> thing is like this is football. It's like I'm, this is like trigonometry. In high school and college, I'm like, does the Mariners need an outfielder to backup Ken Griffey? <laughs> Ken Griffey was there at that time. Yeah. I just never got a chance to meet him. That was the only sucky part. I was like, dang, I never got a chance to meet my guy. I may, I may one day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to learn these plays. It's not just X's. It's different, different stuff. You know, mm-hmm. coming from Nebraska, we were option offense. We ran the ball a lot, so. The plays were real simple, you know, power toss left, power toss right, ISO 92, ISO up the middle or counter or counter or power load this. It was real simple. But just like anything, I, I like it. I adjust and I start studying up more and asking questions to the veterans. You know, what's this mean? You know, because some of it is like you got to go off of run this route if it's cover two and or run this route if it's cover three or man. man. I was like, OK got to teach me how to read coverages. I didn't know that. And I was kind of learning on the run, got beat up a little bit in terms of, you know, making mistakes, you know, mm-hmm. fumbling the ball. So I got in a little doghouse with uh, Holmgren and he, he's like a mine. He's a great talent. You know, He were talking to reporters. He's a great talent. We love him, but he just got a little problem holding on to the ball. So that kind of that kind of stuck with me. And I'm like, ah, OK, I was like, I don't think it's a problem. It happens. I fumbled when I was in Nebraska. I fumbled in college. I mean, high school. It's just just like quarterbacks; they throw interceptions. That's how I would answer the question. Okay, yeah, and then, but that's stuck. Like I said, it's stuck with everybody else. Though the media, other other coaching, or uh, yeah, me, I say more media than anything. And so when it came down to after the season, I had my year end talk with Mike Holmgren, and he said, uh, you know, he was happy. I'm on. I'm very happy with your development. You you came along this you know this season really good because I I ended up sharing time with um, Ricky Williams by the end of the season, and I had uh, the biggest the highest percentage of third down conversions for running back. So, you know, third and short, third and one, I would convert, you know, and sometimes have a big run touchdown or a big first down run, stuff like that. And then, so he told me that and I was excited. I'm like, okay, yeah, give me a chance to finally get in the, get in the game, you know, on the offensive side of the ball. Cause before that I was mostly special teams. And then two months later, three months later, I'm a Packer. <laughs>
0: And you're a Packer. Yeah,
1: it was where We had that conversation right after the end of our yeah. season, and then April, it's my daughter's birthday. She was turning five. My oldest, Amani, uh, she was turning five years old. I get a phone call from my dad. He, he said, "Hey, son, how you doing?" I said, "I'm good. Just celebrating Amani's birthday. You know, she's turning five. And I was like flipping burgers, hot dogs on the grill because we were down in Miami um, at her at my her grandmother's house, and he's like, "Son." You're a Packer," I said. "Dad, you're joking." He said, "No, no, I would not joke about this." Turn on, go in the house, turn on the ESPN right now. Trey Ringo is about to announce that you're going to be a Packer and other stuff. Other, you know, that you're going to get traded for this or whatever. I ran, I hung up the cell phone, went in the house. Sure enough, Trey Ringo is up there out talking you know about nfl stuff yeah. then he saw before the show is we got amon green gets traded to the green bay packers for fred vincent and a fifth round pick um and that's our show Boom. oh i'm like
0: nobody called you i mean no. it's besides, dad your, me. besides your dad yeah besides your dad that's crazy yep.
1: so yeah So i saw call my agent i'm like Joby, did you know he's like no i'm just watching it right now on espn just like you i'm like Dude, I'm like, oh man. He's like, what's going? He's like, what did Homer say to you? He's like, I was like, I told him. He told me that he was he was happy with my development that I could push Ricky for the starting job this coming season and everything. And it was the day before the draft. It was Friday. That's when the draft was only a two day thing, yep. not a yep. four day, yep. four or five day, all thing. day, all day, yeah, day. all yeah. day. So I got traded the day before the draft, and then the Seahawks drafted Sean Alexander. So I was like, oh. Uh, so it was kind of between you know, home and then home liking somebody else. And with, that somebody else was Sean Alexander, who was a good running back. Yep. Great guy too. I, I, I knew yeah. i hung out with him quite a bit. Um, so yeah, it was just the way the business was. And I, so I learned, I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. moving back to the only thing that I was unhappy about was leaving Seattle. Seattle is a great city. Mm-hmm. And then coming, coming back to the Midwest was like, no, I thought I was getting out of here.
0: <laughs> and then <laughs> Boy, you come to, it. You come to Green Bay, and I'm pulling up your stats right now. First year in Green Bay at the age of 23, double-digit touchdowns, 1,100 yards. You go for 1,000 or more, One, two, three, four, five straight years, including 1,800 yards in 2003, um, another 1,000-yard season after that, and you go for uh, how many touchdowns did you have in your career? Do you know that off the top of your head? 60-something.
1: Uh, 60, 60
0: rushing, yep, and 14 receiving, mm-hmm. and you're a Packers Hall of Famer. And, I mean, did you, w- w- did you ever expect something like that, like that, that type of run you had with the Green Bay Packers?
1: Uh, no, I, but I knew that if somebody, if, the, if either the Seahawks, and then once I found out I became a Packer, the Packers gave me an opportunity. I knew I could do big things. I just didn't know what those totals would be. You know, I wasn't saying, okay, I could rush for 2000 or I could rush for 1500 What I did was for myself, I always made many goals for myself. Um, and I knew I could rush for at least a thousand for uh, per season. I said mm-hmm. like, if I could at least do a thousand yards per season, because I was looking at the long picture. I was like, because Walter Payton, my favorite running back, he played for thirteen years. Mm-hmm. You know, he rushed for sixteen thousand yards. There's Apollo. He's walking in. He,
0: he's bored. A <laughs> dog yeah. in the background of the zoo. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. So Walter Payton, he rushed for sixteen thousand yards in thirteen seasons. You know. And so I kind of looked at his career, but he, the one thing different from his career to my career, he played from the time he got to Chicago, year one, all the way through. You know, I didn't play a whole lot in Seattle on offense. I played mostly special team. And I think in those two years, I only rushed for like 200 yards. And then once I got to Green Bay, though, then I started running. You know, I started running the ball and I was picking up 1,000 yards, 1,000 yards, 1,000 yards. So between the, you know, 2000 to, uh, 2004 you know then 2005 I got hurt and in 2006 I had came back another thousand but then 07 and then 0708 I went to Houston again only had a few hundred yards there so if I would have had the whole you know I was doing the math in my head like dang it I'm like I'm a little short you know in terms of this is like when my career was over I was like kind of doing the numbers I'm like oh at least but I'm like I was happy that for my dad and my brothers because my dad and brothers like you're getting close to John Taylor. You know, every year they'd be like, man, you're almost there. You're getting there. And then the year I went to Houston in 07, they're like, you're going to be a Houston Texan? What? You're 49 yards away from breaking Jim Taylor's record. What are you doing? You know, they're all on me. I'm like, I'm going to come back. I said, I'm going to be back. I was like, this, it was something that, you know, that happened where I didn't really want to, for one, full disclosure, I didn't not want to, nothing against the players, nothing against the organization. I did not want to be a Texan. I wanted to be a Packer for life. And somehow my agent just did his own thing and told me one story and I don't know how it went down, but he told me this crazy story like, you know, Ted Thompson so slow and he didn't get back to me soon enough. And that's why. And I'm like, well, you told me one thing. You told me that they didn't make a decision or they didn't take my offer because they gave me an offer that I would have took. I would have stayed there. I would have been here for my whole career. It was like a three year or two year deal for another 20,000, 20 million. I'm like. And other than Houston was twenty four million I'm like I'll stay in Green Bay for twenty 20 million that's like that's not that that does doesn't make sense so it was just weird, so it kind of derailed that that uh I say derailed me getting ten thousand and but I was able to come back in nine and get my forty nine yards mm-hmm. to break uh, Jim Taylor's record but yeah it was just it was just interesting you know the business side of everything, but coming here, I mean once I got here, the players they made it easy you know Dorsey Levins, leroy Gilbert William Henderson Donald. They treated me like I was drafted here, and that was that was part of that was another reason why I came here and did good because I felt comfortable. I felt, you know, this was home. It wasn't just like a almost kind of like Seattle parts. Some of some of the times in Seattle, walking into there, we felt it felt like I wasn't supposed to be there, or felt I felt I wasn't wanted because some of the players were like in their own world, you know. Which I know people, you know, people have life and they have kids and they have things going on for themselves, but it's like. When I played all my sports growing up as a kid, we socialized on some level, my teammates and I, you know, we had some rapport, you know, like you and I, when we do our bargain, we talk, we laugh. And then sometimes we like, hey, we get to hang out, we get to do Rocket League or something. You know, I know about your kids, you know, about my kids, stuff like that. We at least had some type of connection because we knew we had to work together. That that was, it wasn't quite there in Seattle. Like some players I had a connection with, like Max Strong, we got a little close. Ricky Waters, we got a little close. Michael Black, who got drafted with me, we got a little close, but those are four players, you know, three players, not the whole 53-man roster, you know? And it was just, it was just interesting. Yeah. But it was uh, once I got here though, like I said, it was just I got a chance to play football and be the running back that I knew I could be basically.
0: Yeah. Um, so what is your greatest or most memorable moment as a Green Bay Packer?
1: And I get that out all the time. You? I would okay. say, yeah, it's all it's all of it. Like from the time I got here and from a football field, like on the field was mm-hmm. like me like telling all them people, like one guy for in particular, Mel Kuyper Jr., who I still don't understand why he gets paid anything. Um, he was <laughs> one of the he was one of the analysts to say, you know, doesn't you know mine green won't be able to play in the NFL, he's not an NFL caliber running back. He can't catch the ball. He can't do this. He can't run fast. He, we don't know if he can stay healthy the whole season. I'm like, dang, he's a big hater, you know. <laughs> you know, so it was just my opportunity just to to show people that I could do that, that I could be just as, as opposite of what everybody else talked about, that I can't, that I couldn't do. And so I say all my years were memorable because I'm for one, I'm a sports fan. So I knew how cool it was to be a Packer you know, because of the title, you know, being title town, Vince Lombardi, Curly Lambo, all those names, I knew who those guys were. I knew why the Packers were still trying to get back to title town. you know, get the Super Bowl trophy, which they did before I got here in 1996. And then went back in 98. I was actually at that game in Seattle when they played against Denver. And they, they just, they would have stuck with the run game. You know, me and Dorsey talk about it all the time. So I know, and he he's, mine. AG, we would have stuck with the run game. We would have won. You know, we would have had a better chance of winning. So I know that, you know, so just this in the fan base, the fan base. I mean, you know that you're even though you're in Madison. Yeah. You know, Green Bay Packer fans is they're crazy, fanatical, obsessed, good and bad all at the same time. And at the end of the day, they still support their Packers, Mm -hmm. you know, even if you're currently playing or not. I mean, some fans see me. I think they lost track of time. They say, hey, man, good luck on Sunday. I'm like, I'll let them know. I look, I'm done. I let Aaron, I yeah. let Aaron Jones know. I let Aaron Rodgers. I'll let him know if I see him, I say, hey, good luck, bro. So and so said good luck. Um, so I knew that coming in that this is a special place. I say so if I could come here and just play like I know I can play, it's going to it's going to be good because this is But I know. Like I said, sports fan. I knew this was the Yankees of yeah. football. Yeah, this was the Green Bay Packers organization.
0: So, you played with Brett Favre for most of your career and you got a season with Aaron Rodgers? Is that the one we're yep. looking at? I 2009?
1: A, a, yep. In terms of him quarterbacking? Yep. Yeah. So being
0: the starting quarterback, rather. Yeah. And a lot of people look at the Packers and they always, this is the one thing that a lot of fans will say is you had a guy from 92 up until 2021 so far with Aaron Rodgers and you've won only two Super Bowls. What do you think of when you hear fans say something along those lines?
1: Uh, first off, is It's not easy, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It is not easy. This is the end. These are the one. We are the one percenters of football players. Excuse me, in on the planet, or I say in the United States, for one. So and it's and it's competitive. It is not easy. I say the only places you can do where you can win multiple. I mean, we we seen one place obviously in the NFL where it happened.
0: Yeah,
1: and they had you know those teams that. Tom Brady, Bill Belichick have been coaching and how he played for them. They filled it out. They figured out what I. my theory is. I'm, I, 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 I got my I'll put on my Christmas list to build one of Bill Belichick's books, one that he wrote. That uh, on my Christmas list to read exactly what his his uh, recipe was. And a part of my theory is what his recipe was and still is to this day on why they're so successful in New England. Because you can think about it, when he, before Bill Belichick got there, he had a rough go. You know, the Jets, the Cleveland Brown. He coached some playoff teams. He had some teams that made some big losses. They had some big losses, but eventually, once he got to New England, remember '96? Uh, well, no, that was a no. That was Bill Parcells, sorry. Yeah, um, but anyway, once Bill Belichick got to New England, between I think what '99, 2000, he got in there around that time. Yeah. Then everything have started happening. And my theory is that. What he does to his players, how he coaches them up, he basically – I mean, one, I heard that he's, you know, he's no bones. He's, 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 he doesn't sugarcoat anything, which I, I'm fine with that. That's the way I was raised. Just tell it like it is. Amon, you fumbled the ball, don't do it again. If not, you might be gone. Okay, but, yeah, you're right. I don't want to get cut. You know, I want to be here. I want to win. And I got this guy named Tom Brady. I got these defensive players that are pro bowlers or really good at their job technical-wise. So, yeah, I don't want to get cut, you know. Um, so he does that. He just shoots them straight. And then from a financial side, because then, you know, when he got the GM job, he tells them, He I think he puts it out there and says, look, Tom, for example, yeah, you're one of the best quarterbacks in the league. You got a couple, you know, one or two Super Bowls at, at, under your belt at that time. You could be the best, highest paid quarterback in the NFL. You could be, which at that time could have been 30 million, easy. 30, 40 million back in 2002. Uh, 2003. Easy. You could be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. But if we pay you all that money, we won't have enough money to get the best linebackers, D linemen, offensive linemen, running backs, wide receivers, corners, safeties that we need to run this defense and, and be a championship team. So he kind of explained that. If, if, I say if a coach explains that to a, a guy that gets it, and we, you know, players like Tom, myself, we get it, you know, and most of us do. It's just you get caught up in the money making side. Oh, I want to be, yes, I want to be the highest paid running back, this other quarterback. You get kind of lost in that. And I think if you don't get lost in that, you understand, like, you know what, Tony, if I'm making 20 million a year, 10 million, 15 million a year, and we still get, we can afford all these other positions and we're winning NFC divisional channel, you know, NFC, AFC, what East, the NFC conference, and then we're going to Super Bowl every other year and winning, that's not a bad deal. You know, I'm gonna take that. So I think that's where not saying, you know, there may be, you know, some organizations, Green Bay being one, kind of miss that sometimes because it is a you know popular game. You do make a lot of money, but you got to balance it's a it's a thing of checks and balances if you kind of go down to the nuts and bolts of it. Because you want to have the best players. Sometimes the best players ain't not always the highest paid player at certain positions. So if you have those best, best players, but obviously you have enough money to buy some of the good ones and make those other players good around them, you know, guys that are fifth round picks or free agents that all of a sudden, boom, they're good. Then you save money and you can have that for your roster. And I think that's kind of where Green Bay sometime over the years, I think a lot of teams do this, you know, makes this mistake is it's a financial thing first before it's a talent thing to have in-house to make sure you have what you need. Because you know it's a quality. You cover sports. It's a quality between certain players. You know. You know myself. I'm a good running back to compare to my teammates like Tony Frijenaje. But you know it was a is you know who was better basically. Even though they're NFL running backs, but of a quality of running back. Okay, Amad is a little bit better than Tony because he does this and Najee does this. You know, and that's why Amon is starting because of this. It, so it's, it's nothing against those guys. And not, and, it, and it's on other teams around the league. You know Jerry Rice and John Taylor. People say Jerry Rice was better. Some people say John Taylor was better. But as a team, they were the best together. So to have those guys on the same roster at the same time—that's why it's always when you hear in the off season gets here. It's like we this was a great year for this team, but we're not going to be the same team next year because mm-hmm. you're going to have free agency. You got guys that are going to be like, "Look, I want to be the best paid wide receiver. I'm I'm leaving. I got to go here to get paid the most." And so that's where some things get lost. And I think that's where you know Green Bay is one of those teams that got they get that gets lost in that. Mathematical equation yeah. of having the best players in the, on the roster to win Super Bowls, and that's what Bill Belichick has figured out over in New England.
0: Do you think uh, Aaron Rodgers is gone after this season? I mean, we knew all the off-season uh, drama. Mm-hmm. He wanted, uh, you know, kind of some input. He wanted a, a little bit more stability and security as far as the number of years. And there's this whole drama. Then even during the season, there's like the Im- immunized drama. Uh, that Rodgers had to undergo as well. And I don't know, yeah. this, everything's, it just seems like this is it for Aaron Rodgers. He seems like he has just totally changed and said, you know what, I am. I have to be in control of the final years of my career. I have to do what I want to do. It sounds to me like Aaron Rodgers won't be a Green Bay Packer much longer.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you say it like that, definitely. I mean, he definitely understands the business, kind of like what I learned. Through the i think what in what every n f l player learns probably by their first year <laughs>
0: okay first year After yeah.
1: the, they know okay this is a business you know I'll get cut or they'll trade me or they'll move this person even though i got a friendship with them or whatever right away because something's not working out and and he and he's seeing it you know with them of the decisions i know that were made by guticus and by um Uh, was it Ted Thompson before he passed and before he stepped down Mm -hmm. um, that weren't, they weren't acknowledging some of Aaron's input.
0: Well, even and and I think, I think we have to listen to Aaron, not necessarily, um, you know, like do this or don't do that, but, you know, just listen to his suggestions because, I mean, you bring in a guy like Randall Cobb, Randall Cobb has been very, and even um, I think Guttekun said like they brought in Cobb because Rogers wanted him and Cobb is, you know, now a little injured, but he was, you know, he that was happened. producing right. injuries. Yeah. Happen. They were, they, they had chemistry and, and in there was the game a few weeks ago. I was watching and Cobb caught, I think a couple of touchdown passes in it before he got injured. I think he had, the game, he got injured. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this is why you should listen to, to veteran guys is because they understand the game. They understand who they work well with and Cobb at the age he's at, and he, he can go another team and, and not be anywhere close to the production he is with green Bay because he knows Aaron Rodgers
1: knows Aaron Rodgers and knows the leadership. That was yeah. the one thing also Aaron said, I was trying to bring leadership type people. And I guess Ronald, Randall yeah. Kyle was one of those people that understood that leadership, not only his athletic ability on the field. And that's kind of what I meant. Like I mentioned with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, they got lead peoples on that team that are leaders. I know the McCourty brothers. They are big leaders in that locker room from New England. When Tom Brady was there, he was a big leader. People looked up to him. People followed him. Whatever he did, he had everybody on the TV, it was a TV 12 program. You know, yeah, you're when you when you got when you're one guy, and you're influencing all 53. You got a good you, you, you in a good place in that organization. So that's where Aaron and seeing that with Randall Cobb, it should be a, definitely an eye opener to Uticus and all the scouts be like, all right. You know, we'll conversate with Aaron once or if he or he'll come to us and say, hey. Here's a list of guys you might you might want to consider bringing in to help out: wide receiver, tackle, running back, defensive tackle, uh, linebacker, maybe you know safeties, stuff like that. Because as players, we see talent. We're playing against the best. So I remember being on the field playing against certain linebackers. I'm like, man, I wish he was if he was on our team, we'd be uh, we'd be crazy good. Yeah, because he's he's doing he's he's shutting us down. You know. Playing against them, or we played against this corner, or if we, or we, I mean, if we had this corner, or we had this strong safety, or if we had that, maybe that fullback or defense alignment or whoever, you know, it's just like this would be a different team, and we could see where people fit in because we are there, we're in the trenches, so that's that's why Aaron has that, you know, and he's a smart guy too. On top of that, you
0: know, mm-hmm.
1: he has it's, all the football yeah. IQ.
0: Uh, and now it is uh, Packers Bears week. Ooh. I mean, this is always a big deal, right? I mean, yep. was there a certain team and was it the rivalries of the Bears or the Vikings? Was there a certain team that when you played, you kind of got hyped a little bit more for, or did you treat every opponent with the same level of intensity?
1: Uh, no, there was some, it wasn't much difference, but I say I treated every game with the same intensity. You know, if it was Detroit, Detroit Lions or, um, kind of thing. Jacksonville.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I'm treating them just like they're the Patriots or they're the Bears or the Vikings coming into town or we're going to their house. Treating them the same. And that's something I learned at Nebraska, Coach Osborne. He always preached because we were, you know, my three years there, our overall record was 49 and three or 49 and two. <laughs> I only lost two games. Let me see. That's crazy. Yeah. I only lost two games in college. And so and now those two games happened in the same year, <laughs> 1996. So 2000, so uh, 1995 and 1997, we didn't lose a game. Wow. Um, we lost two in 96. We were 12 and two that season. And so from day one, Coach Osborne would preach that no matter who comes in our stadium or what stadium we go to, we treat that team like they're the number one team in the, in the country or the number two team in the country that we're facing. If we're facing Pacific, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State. Doesn't matter how their record is, we're gonna play them like they're the best team on the field right now. They're better. We're gonna we gonna play them like they're better than us. <clears throat> so that's how I treated, that's how I approached every game. But some games got me a little bit more gassed up than others. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Bears Week would do that. And it and it happened once I got here, obviously, because I played the Bears as a Seahawk. And the only thing that really got me going is like, oh man, the Bears and Walter Payton used to play there. <clears throat> but now as a Packer, it was the Walter Payton thing, but then also it was like, this is a divisional rivalry, so we got to win this game to help us get to the playoffs. So that was the extra little umph that I needed to get a little more fired up. But people like Mike Brown, my college teammate, who was a strong safety for the Bears, he added another little a uh, little little umph to it. So he would come to me uh-huh. every pregame, home or away, if the Bears was here, or if we were in Lambo, he would run up to me, give me a big hug, you know, what's up, man? How you doing? We're gonna beat y'all down. We're gonna destroy y'all. Brit's gonna throw four interceptions. You're gonna have four fumbles. We're gonna keep you out the end zone. So we're gonna lay y'all out. And I'm sitting there like, Mike, you know what I'm about to do, even if I'm not pissed off. You know that, right? And I'm just like, okay. You didn't look. what, what you okay, Mike? <laughs> i'm about to really kill y'all now i'm like about to go ham on y'all i'm like i'm already gonna do this you're just making me you just rattling in the cage mm-hmm. you're taking that cup and across the bars i'm like oh it's someone now it's a fight it wasn't just i'm already gonna run you over now i'm gonna try to destroy you i'm gonna try to just end you with one hit so it was mike brown on top of that i used to i tell this story now i let every bear fan know blame mike brown for my, the way I ran the ball, because he would, oh my God, he would get talk so much trash before pregame. And he did it every game, every game.
0: It's Mike Brown's fault. <clears throat> uh, final question for you, Amon. Will the Green Bay Packers of 2021, led by Aaron Rodgers, and perhaps his final season in the green and gold, lead the Packers to a Super Bowl title? Man. I want to say yes because
1: of where they're at right now. The defense is playing lights out.
0: Yeah. And really, awesome.
1: to me, that's the only thing I needed to see. Okay. I've watched a lot of Super Bowl winning teams. And for every winning team in my era, as a kid growing up, as an in high school player, college player, and then now pro player and then former pro, from all the teams that I researched, and I really, you know, now you can really go online and Google everything. You can see those teams, they had a defense that just came to play this time of year. It was December. It was January. When those defenses woke up and say, you know what? We take our team to the game and we're going to be the reason that we win. When the defensive players figure that out, that's when that team is unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what Bill Belichick has mastered because that's the best part of his team is the defense. The Patriots offense stat-wise, as you really look at the stats, they weren't overwhelming. They weren't just like like Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs and or the 49ers and Joe Montana. They weren't outscoring, you know, putting up 60, 50 points a game. No. They were putting up the points enough for the defense to hold the other team, either creating turnovers, and then they would take advantage. The offense would just take advantage of field position, score a touchdown, kick a field goal, whatever. So with the defense for me, that's what I would say that'll be the reason why, but I know football games got to get played injuries happen. I know it's all these other crazy factors, but yeah. what I'll do, what I'll do for the show, what I'll say here, take all that away. Yeah. Just take all that away, all that nonsense, because it is nonsense, but it's legit nonsense. I'm going to just move that, just bring this into a world that it's like, it's like Thanos, you know, boom! I'm going to make that, that type of decision. So right now, take all those stats all that information, I just said, uh, I said right now, yes, these guys can do it because of the defense. They're playing lights out. They know that when they make plays, that means they turn over, create turnovers, put pressure on their on the opposing team's quarterback, which all the teams that are coming up, they can do that. From the Vikings, from this weekend with uh, the Bears, with Dalton, um, Baker Mayfield here in the field, Ben Roethlisberger. We, already, we saw last night what happened to Ben Roethlisberger. And the Steelers against the Vikings, you know. So all the quarterbacks are set up to get beat down <laughs> mm-hmm. against this Packers defense. Kenny Clark is playing good. Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage playing good. Preston mm-hmm. Smith. If if and when they ever they ever get Zedarius back, oh my God. You know, he might take a couple games to get the rust off, but he's just he's Zadarius Smith. He could get sacked. Zaire Alexander, he'll be returning soon. Mm-hmm. So you got the pieces ready to go. For the best part of the year, because the biggest thing for an NFL team is like, are the first race is get win a division. You win your division, you're in the playoffs, good to go. Or if you just went get in, you know, you get enough placement to get in the playoffs. So that's the first goal: win a division, get in the playoff. They did that; they pretty much won the division. This is wrapped up. Now it's like just get that first round by. Mm-hmm. They're gonna be that between them and Arizona. I could see Arizona losing one more game. I could see them. They they they've win. So, you know, they're winning, but they're they're winning. They're just getting by. So I can see them lose one more game, and then that position for that one or two seed, they're going to get a bye. Packers will have a first-round bye. And then, you know, get that first-round bye, rest up another week, and then you only have to play that divisional game, AFC, NFC championship, or NFC championship game, and then boom, you're in the game. So you got three games setting up after the regular season come late January. So – that's what they're okay. setting up for. And so is. I'm.
0: A, there it is. Okay. Amon. There's green. my answer. Long awesome. drawn out. <laughs> <laughs> Amon, you can catch him on the gamers lounge with the green and myself. We're talking video games every Wednesday on Twitch. And you can always download that podcast. Plus you're going to be signing autographs in Appleton. Is it, is it this weekend?
1: Yeah. This, uh, f- this sat- Saturday. Uh, okay. It's so the, tomorrow. Yeah. It's uh <clears throat> home. What's it called? It's a, uh, I saw that. Hold on. Home with it. the Packers or Christmas, Christmas with the Packers.
0: Oh, fun! Uh, you wore a Santa uh, May, hat.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think I ever wore a Santa hat. Uh, it's Uh-oh. Mayfield, Mayfield, uh, Mayfield Marketing did it mm-hmm. along with me, Gilbert Santana, and either Dorsey or I think Dorsey's coming this time. Okay, or, or Antonio, Aaron Antonio, something like that. Uh, holiday, holiday, holidays with the Packers. That's what it's called. Holidays with the
0: Packers. So many things we didn't even touch on them on. Like we didn't touch on the time you turned down EA Sports or the Madden uh-huh. cover. We didn't- <laughs> and I'm so mad at that now. They <laughs> do
1: a Madden, all Madden documentary on uh, Christmas Day. I'm like, oh man, I could have been a part of that.
0: We never That's talked nice. about the time that you uh, got the turkey leg from Madden. And then you kept the turkey leg and it's in like a Ziploc bag at your yep. house somewhere.
1: <laughs> I got to find it. It is in storage.
0: I think that's so hilarious. I think you put that thing on eBay. It's gonna like, go. Make an yep, NFT gonna... of that chicken wing, chicken leg, it's, or whatever. And
1: um, <laughs> uh, yes, I know. It's also I got a pair of shoes that I ran my forty in. I gotta find. Oh, okay. At my, at my pro day, uh, my pro day, I ran a four one seven and a four one eight.
0: That's that's fast. Uh, also fast. on my block, another podcast you do right with. Yep. Um, Mike, uh, Mike, wall. Yeah. yeah. So check out Amon green Amon. Hey, thanks for taking some time and, uh, and hanging out and all the info we've been talking about. If you want to get Amon's auto tomorrow, it's all at uh, Amon green on, uh, on your Twitter and on your Instagram. And that is, what is your Twitter at uh, Amon green 30?
1: Yep. All one word. Amon green 30 all one word on Twitter and Instagram.
0: Cool. That Thank you, neat. Amon.
1: Hey, you're welcome, John on the show. Did it? Yes. Can't wait to come back. <laughs>
0: All right. There you go. Amon Green Packers Hall of Famer joining me on the podcast. One more time. If you missed the Ian's Pizza keyword combo of this episode, it is. Oh, Hold on. I got to bring it up. I already forgot what it was. Hold on. Let me push this button right here. It is and a uh, and A-N-D space A and a. Uh. So uh, collect these keywords. We're going to form the secret message. You got two episodes left to collect keywords. So tell your friends. Tell your friends, hey, don't forget to subscribe on uh, on Spotify as well. You can just get the the new um, downloads once they get here. That's really awesome. Uh, Also on Apple, drop in a review if you want. Hey, recommend this podcast to a friend. And if you feel like supporting the podcast, I do have a donation tab at the end of every episode description. What else am I missing? Ian's Pizza. Buy a gift card for the holidays and put it in the stocking of one of your pizza friends. And they're going to be like, oh, great. I get to go get mac and cheese pizza or whatever for me. And they're going to love it. Uh, what else? What else? Oh, uh, working on one more cool thing to do with another sponsor. Hopefully that can uh, connect here right before the holidays or right after the holidays. I'm really excited about this one as well. And um, yeah, thanks for listening to this edition of the Johncast podcast. Goodbye.